Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast, exploring the greatest story ever told with open minds and open hearts. We'll light it up, we won't come down, and the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights, and the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show. Hello, and welcome to Question Mark a fortnightly podcast about the greatest story ever told, Mark's Gospel. Whether this is the first episode you've listened to or you're a regular listener, we're very pleased that you could join us today. My name's David Payne and I'll be your host for this, the 32nd episode, we're nearly halfway on the journey through Mark's Gospel. This tale is surely as relevant to life in the 21st century as it was to first century believers. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce our special guest, Jenny Baker. Jenny, I understand you are the national leader of Celebrate. I hope I got this right. You're the lay leader in the Catholic Church and have headed up many national events as well as events in your parish. Um, I know people personally who've been involved in your Celebrate conferences over the years and seem to have been very much impacted by them. And they're lovely people as well, actually. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you and maybe hearing a bit more about what you do. Tell us, how do you know Steph and what's Celebrate? Um, how I know Steph, I can't quite remember, Steph, how we met, but I, I know that I had a look at your um, I Am Mark um, recordings and was blown away about them and by them. Um, and then we got chatting and we met over Zoom, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, so that was that was before COVID, I think. Mm-hmm. So a yeah. few years ago now. Yeah. Um, Celebrate. Celebrate is a, a Catholic ministry um, that is specifically looks at um, equipping, connecting, and inspiring people to live a Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that through family faith formation. These are our key areas: family form, faith formation, through um, the strengthening of local community, and also forming the next generation. And that's through events, training our leaders, producing resources, so lots of different areas that we're involved in. And we've been going about 30 years now. Um, So yeah, that's who we are. Brilliant. And people can find out more at, you have a website, I guess, do you? Yeah, it's www.celebratetrust.org. And that would tell you more about what Celebrate is and what we produce. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you. Thank you. And Stefan Smart, I think people might know, has recently been performing his one-man performance of Mark's Gospel around the country again, and will be appearing at the Edinburgh Fringe in early August. He had this great idea of inviting friends from many different backgrounds to meet up to chat about the life of Jesus as presented in Mark's Gospel, which is how we come to be here today. So I just wonder, Steph, what it's like for you to do these presentations and uh, do you have a favourite place to do it? Wow, Um, it is lovely. It does feel like I've come home when I do the presentation because uh, it's just so enjoyable interacting with uh, an audience, but using these words, these the words of scripture and kind of hoping that in doing it, it will bring the Bible alive. And it's, it's a wonderful experience. And so, yeah, I absolutely love what I do. Um, favorite place that is so hard um, 
probably the last place I performed in. So I'm being diplomatic now, but I did I know you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, possibly, let's get on with yeah. today's, today's sure. show. So first of all, we're going to hear today's passage, which is going to be read for us by a friend of the show, Lucy Warner. Lucy. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, New International Version. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Thank you, Lucy. Well, firstly, Jenny will let the guest go first. I wonder what your initial thoughts are when you look at this passage. Is there a main point you'd like to start with? Oh, uh, you know, I, I've spent quite a lot of time, obviously, reading it and meditating on it and thinking about it and praying through it. Um, just, I think it is the sweetest story. It's just, um, it's just the most beautiful, tender um, account of Jesus's love and touch, really. Um, and that's, that's the first thing. I mean, then, I'm, then, you know, you go through, gosh, there's so many layers to this. There's so much in it. You, you're amazed at just however many lines it is, and I can't remember how many lines, that there is just so much depth um, to, to the account of this blind man. I suppose the first thing I, I sort of really thought about was this, um, this touch, really, the fact that there was a, a touch of Jesus to this man who was blind. And, um, you know, I, I think we can read this without even thinking about it, but if somebody can't see and are never touched because, um, you know, blind people, lepers, you know, all of the people that were, um, had all sorts of areas, um, difficulties and, and uh, disabilities like that, they wouldn't have been touched, is my understanding. And mm -hmm. so this physical touch was just probably something that we can't imagine. And the, the only way I related it to it more recently is um, my, my mom during COVID, you know, she lives on her own and I couldn't touch her. Yes. And we, we used to go and visit her from a distance and wave at her and, you know, put a shopping in the back door. I would actually quite often unpack a shopping and wipe it all down, but couldn't get close to her. Mm. And I just remember the first time I was able to hug her and touch her. And she was just, you know, so desperate for that. Yeah. And so I suppose that that was the first thing, just that sense of touch must be must have been so incredible for that man oh thank you I like that lovely Steph what about what's your well I think I just want to say a little bit about what Jenny just said I think that's right I just agree so much about Jesus having the time the patience the compassion 
to touch this man, to lead him by the hand. That sense of gentleness as well comes through. The fact that he listens to the people begging him, that his heart is melted, we can assume, by that. And I think, you know, so many of these stories do underline his compassion, you know, and that's how we experience him, isn't, isn't it? That mm -hmm. almighty brilliant powerful being that he is but also how compassionate loving and tender he is too and um yeah that was the first thing that struck me too but I, i've got to say the one thing that comes up for me in this passage is this whole issue of blindness and seeing which i know we're going to be talking about a bit later but that mm. is a theme that happens again and again especially in this part of the the gospel so um yeah let's let's see what we can come up with Okay, well, we have some listeners, as you know, um, and some members of the uh, Facebook community who've sent some questions in. And uh, so I've got three or four questions. The first one is, touching on what you just said, Steph, is there a parallel message from the author or from Jesus or both that the man is not healed immediately, but in two stages, just as the disciples perhaps are gradually realising who Jesus is? but not everything is revealed to them at once. It seems to come in stages. So is that a parallel story going on? I think it probably obviously is, but Jenny, do you want to uh, say something? Yeah, about that? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it really? But um, I think you're right. There probably is the fact he said to the disciples, you know, you've got eyes and you can't see. And yeah. then this happened. Yes. Um, and so it was perhaps a sort of, um, explanation a physical explanation to them to you know see I can make all people see mm. um, but the progression of it um, I think is probably to do with with revelation and to do with the fact that um, for some of us we're a bit slow maybe <laughs> like the disciples a bit slow to get the point um, and, you know, I was thinking about that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, you know, now we see as a reflection in a mirror, um, you know, one day we'll see face to face, paraphrasing it, but yeah. um, that the, there is this incredible progression. Um, and yeah, I think, I think sometimes, well, definitely I'm slow to see. Sometimes there's this um, that I, I live in a in dim light. I don't always live yeah. in the full light of, of yeah. Jesus. Mm. Um, so I think revelation is, um, I mean, thank God I had the revelation of Jesus, but I think there's so much more that I'm yet to receive, um, which is exciting because you mm. can never get bored with God <laughs> because... There's always more, isn't there? There's always more and more that he's going to reveal to you. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Steph, it, I just noticed those words. There's more to see all the time, every time you read it, isn't there? Do yeah. you see anything, Jesus? <laughs> Almost <laughs> as though, you know, following on from saying, have you got, are you blind that you can't see and deaf you yeah. can't? What, yeah. what are you going to say about the? Well, the I mean, I agree. Again, I, I, I totally get what Jenny's saying. And this idea that, we're like the disciples. It's fascinating. From a performance point of view, I think I might have mentioned this before, that often I direct my gaze at imaginary disciples if I'm, say, playing the part of Jesus. But 
also, very occasionally, more often these days, I'll look in the audience's faces as if they too are the disciples. In mm. fact, they are the ones being addressed. And I think that is what happens in Mark's gospel that, you know, on Jenny gave the positive view, which is, and I think it's right, you know, we've always got more to learn and there's always more to see. But the negative view is, and in this case of the disciples as well, is, you know, we can be dull. We can be quite dull. And just because we know the, the end of the story, this story, Mark's gospel, doesn't mean to say that we're any less <laughs> in need of revelation as the disciples. I think there's a bit of a challenge to us as well, as well as a comfort in mm. some ways. Yeah. Um, I think the key, the key question, and again, we don't have to talk about it immediately, is what is it that the disciples aren't seeing? Um, I think we can talk about general yeah. revelation, but is there something I wonder specific here? Um, and there, there could be all sorts of answers. I, I don't know whether you have any thoughts about that, Jenny, as to what you think the disciples are not getting. Well, I, I think they don't see him necessarily at this stage in the fullness of the revelation of who he is. Yeah. And we see that as a progression, don't we? Because after this passage, there is the declaration by Peter of saying, this is who you are. This is my understanding, which is so beautiful. This laying everything on the line. I've realized like, you know, the lights come on. Um, and why that is, I mean, I can only talk from my own um, experience that sometimes I think um, sometimes we can choose not to see everything sometimes um, you know there's fear or um, distraction and we don't necessarily want to see everything perhaps we're fearful that we're not worthy of the fullness of God's revelation mm. um, I remember um and, and sometimes, you know, maybe we choose to, to, to live in the dark. I remember when um, my first date with my husband, I contacted my mum unexpectedly and said, hey, I'm going to bring, she knew I was really fallen for this guy, and I'm going to bring him back um, to the house. And she was like, but you can't. We've only just arrived home from holiday, and the house is in a real mess. And, you know, I haven't got time. It was the evening. And so I said, sorry, sorry, but I've got to take him. I've got to bring him back. So I brought him back and um, she had taken the lights out of the bulbs, out of some of the lights in the house, in the sitting room. So there was only one lamp with a bulb in it. And so we went in there in this dim light to try and see. I think he probably thought we were crazy. Um, and I was like, what is going on? But she took the lights out because she didn't want him to see all the dust and the dog hair and all of the things that, you know, she hadn't got around to tidying up. And um, sometimes when I think about that, I think that, you know, sometimes we choose to take light bulbs out because our lives are a bit grubby and grimy. And, mm -hmm. you know, we know that there's things there that need to be um, mm. sorted out. But mm -hmm. God's so good to us because he he just allows us that revelation in our own time yes. he puts on the lights you know when they're ready yes. and that is just such a beautiful thing yeah that's brilliant I love that I I, I wonder too about how we can be set, set in our ways as well I mean I think that's possibly true of the disciples here we have a kind of worldview or paradigm 
about how things really are. And that may be because we've been brought up that way or whether even we've been taught that way in church in the past and we kind of stick to it because it's secure. Mm. Um, but I think sometimes God shakes that, <laughs> shakes that up, doesn't he? Um, and I'm sure that's what's going on. Um, I, I wonder in this case, I mean, there's so many different theories about what they haven't seen. And, and I agree with you that the Peter episode that comes next seems to be key because he does tell Jesus that he's the Christ, doesn't he? And he gets that revelation. But then he goes to, on to argue with Jesus about who the Christ actually is or what he came to do. And I don't think he saw the idea of a suffering servant at all. He, he saw this victorious kind of all-conquering Christ who comes in, in the cause of the Jewish people to defeat their enemies. And that's what he argued with Jesus. And clearly Jesus doesn't accept that and says, get behind me, Satan, and so on. Mm -hmm. So there is, a, there is a seeing, but not, very, not necessarily a full seeing. It's perhaps only afterwards at the resurrection uh, that they begin to see who yeah. Jesus really is. And I think that's a general view. And I think that's a really, really interesting one. And right, I'm sure it's right. But I'm wondering, too, whether there's, um, there's something about knowing who Jesus is, but not necessarily seeing who he represents or the kind of lifestyle he represents, um, which is one of sacrifice and giving and, and denying oneself. And Jesus has to explain this, doesn't he, in, in, a, in, in the next few verses, really. Mm. There's something about seeing, and I, I, I must admit, I was really challenged by this passage, and it was actually an incident that happened to me last night, um, where, as I thought about this man who is prayed for, and initially what he sees are trees walking around. So I'm assuming those people he sees are people in the, in the distance. They're not people right close up. He can see Jesus. He looks up at Jesus. He can see him clearly. But what he can't see are the people in the distance. They're kind of fuzzy, blurry objects. They look like trees walking around. I think that's probably what that means. And I think, hold on, this is so true of me too. I, I, I kid myself sometimes perhaps that, oh, my faith in, is strong in Jesus. But is that also complemented by my also seeing others as well in terms of their need? I don't know. I am, I must admit, a little bit self, I am probably very self-centered. And an example of that was last night. I was watching Sherwood. So this will date the episode, but I was, I'm really liking that series. And um, I started watching it in my TV upstairs. I mean, it's a warm night. So I open the windows and the, the episode was getting really exciting. And I had the volume up really loud. And, and it came to the end of the episode. And it was getting really, really amazing and exciting. And my wife walks in and she says, don't you realize you've got the, the windows open and all the neighbors? <laughs> and of course, I was absolutely oblivious to this. My concern was to enjoy the episode at full volume and make sure that I get enough air in the room because, you know, it's a warm night. And it, it, just, it just proves the point that so often we can not see others. I think the disciples do get that same problem. I think if in the rest of this passage, you know, all the way through chapter 10 as well, 9 and 10, the children are brought to the, Jesus and they say, oh, no, don't, we don't want the children. Uh, a yeah. man casts out demons. Oh, he's not one of us. Um, they have an argument about who's the greatest. They just focused on self, their own kind of promotion not thinking about others 
at all. So I like I like this story. It kind of fits in well with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really agree. I don't know um, what you're saying about how we think we can see, yeah. but we do have blind spots, don't we? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember my daughter um, going to the opticians and um, they gave her a particular test which um, revealed to, to them and to her that she has a limited periphery vision for one reason or another. Yeah. And yet she'd lived for, this was happened to her when she was in her 20s, and she'd lived all that time with no knowledge that her vision was limited. Mm-hmm. And I think that often I'm the same. I, you know, I think but I know, you know, many things maybe about God, um, but there is so, um, so much to discover and um, so much to learn, really. I yes, think that's yes. just a wonderful thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the contrast, the fact that God is all seeing, you know, God yes, is, yes. sees everything. There's a, there's a beautiful, um, I think it's a Hebrew name for God, El Roy, I think it's E-L-R-O-I, which means the God who sees. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that once and just thinking, you know, that, that God sees us and he knows us. Um, and so he, he is all seeing and he wants us to have more and more rev- revelation. That's right. I agree. And in, in this story as well, doesn't it? It is actually quite um, hope filling that the man does see finally and mark reiterates that he says then his eyes were opened his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly i, ca- I kind of think the three points there he re- he says the same thing three times suggests that this is actually meant to be parallel a parallel to something as we said earlier mm. but the fact is also that the man does see everything and it's interesting the the Greek for seeing everything clearly is actually seeing far away, seeing everything far away. Um, so it's not just seeing nearsighted, it's also having far sight, if that's the right phrase. So you're seeing the whole thing. I think, mm. I think that is giving, that does give us hope that God mm. is in the, in the business of helping us to see fully. Mm. Yeah. I- I, sorry, <laughs> just something that made me think actually, um, you know, about seeing is that, um, I don't know if you remember, um, The Guardian, I think it was The Guardian, did a series of, of advertisements years and years ago where they showed something being seen from different perspectives. And um, I don't know if you remember those, but there was a, a, a like um, a skinhead that was running down the road and he pushed this man to the ground and you saw it from that angle and you thought this guy's really being you know violent yeah. and then they switched it and you saw that he pushed them he pushed this man to the ground because something was falling from above so he was saving them I can't quite remember if that was exactly right um, but I think it was either the Guardian or one of the newspapers or probably probably some another different newspaper but it's just seeing that perspective Um, and actually the words of Jesus when he says to the man um, what can you see or can you see anything 
I, I really found that um, quite um, something for me to take into prayer. Yeah. But you know, what can you see, not through your own perspective, but through God's perspective, yeah. God's eyes. And that is such a challenge for me yes. to look at people and things and circumstances and situations um, on a daily basis through his eyes and not my own. Yeah, great provocation, isn't it? Is that God saying, "Come on, what, what do you, what do you, what do you want to see? What, what is there to see?" And in, in both yeah. both ways, I suddenly um, feel inspired to say this. I think this is a message for everyone, not just for us believers, isn't it? That we can, all of us, spend our lives thinking we know everything <laughs> or we see everything when we clearly don't. And it does take God's touch yeah. to mm. reveal. So if we're set in our ways and think, oh, God doesn't exist. I'm, I've been through, done that, been there, done that. Mm. Or I can't believe in God. Well, actually, there are other ways of seeing in the way that Jenny's described. Yes. Mm. Very good. We could probably spend all day on this, all, all the whole episode on this. Let's move on to another question, um, which is why did Jesus lead the man out of the village? Um, with the, the, the listeners mentioned it seemed like a sign of his care that he leads the man by the hand as you've mentioned rather than expecting someone to do it and then why was he told not to go back there though curiously he was allowed to go home any thoughts about that Jenny I think you said it's a good question it's a great question <laughs> um I you know it's hard isn't it because we we are presuming um and it made me sort of investigate a bit more about, you know, the people that brought the blind man to Jesus. We've no idea if they were his friends or whether they were just people that wanted to see the sign. You know, that like pre just previously he'd been talking about the Pharisees wanting to see a sign and this generation won't see a sign. And um, so we don't know if they were just like, come on, come on, we want to see this. So Possibly, I've no idea, but possibly it's just that sort of taking him to one side. We don't know if he was, um, how he was, whether he had faith or whether he was just being used uh, by these people. Um, I'm sure he did grow in faith through this and, and have the light um, shining on him through the first thing him seeing is Jesus's face when he brought um brought him to fullness of sight um but I, I just think Jesus knows these things doesn't he and he knows when we need that encounter that personal intimate time alone mm. with him yeah and so I just feel that maybe in this particular case he felt it would be the best for this man to have that one-to-one -one, uh, time yeah. Where the disciples were, they might have been the people from the distance with the at the trees. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Steph, what about? I, I, I agree. I think that it is likely, perhaps, or certainly possible. Jesus is showing a degree of um, you know, empathy with the man and wanting to support him in this. But I also wonder well, whether there's something going on re regarding Jesus's own concern about the situation generally for him because yeah. um uh, you know right from chapter three the pharisees 
and the Herodians, the teachers of the law from Jerusalem, they're, they're pretty much out to get him. And then the word is that they, they determined to kill him. Um, so he's, he's a hunted man. And I, I do think that fairly close to this passage, he's come to the revelation, probably uh, as he will see, as he tells Peter and the rest of the disciples in a moment, um, that he's going to die. But I, I don't think he's into people taking him and arresting him too soon. There is a sense, I think, in which telling the man not to go in the, to the village kind of delays things for him. He can make, he can make a bit of a getaway and therefore um, stay out of trouble, at least for the time being. There's, I don't know, there's this sense in, from what I can get from reading between the lines, admittedly, Jesus kind of knows what he's about. He knows he's going to be going to Jerusalem. So there's a way in which he's trying to make sure in a way that happens. I, I, I think that's probably what's going on. Obviously, when he does go back to the village, eventually the news will spread, but hopefully Jesus is long gone. Mm, mm, mm. Good. And we've talked about, you know, how compassionate Jesus is and kind, but we've, we've and, and that's all very lovely and beautiful. Uh, we've got to talk about spitting, really, haven't we, in our this oh, yeah. day and age? Yes. I mean, I'm t I was told spitting's rude and nasty and you shouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> It's not nice. Maybe things were different in those days. Or maybe, as our, our listener suggests, the spit coming out of Jesus's mouth perhaps emphasizes that what comes out of Jesus's mouth is powerful. I'm not entirely convinced by, by that, but I don't know. What do you think? We've got to talk about spit, haven't we, Jenny? Yeah, it's it really, it I'm does sorry. make you like, oh, doesn't it? it take that out. I, yeah, I am... Um, Actually, I was talking to my great friend about this, about spitting, after I knew that I was going to be talking about the passage. And she, she told me um, that she used to live in Tuvalu years ago, which is in the South Pacific. And she said that um, the gardeners in, in the sort of area that she lived in, quite often they would take um, a gulp of water in their mouth and then they would spray the water over the flowers. Um, and I thought, oh, I like that sense of spitting. Maybe Jesus you know, <laughs> sprayed the water, but that probably isn't the case. Um, I, I mean, I also thought what, you know, what a great thought that she had, that it was the power coming out of yeah. But I think for me, um, there is a lot of, if you look at all the miracles, there's a lot of touch and taste and, um, you know, um, spit and spittle and paste and all of these sort of human things, aren't they? Yes. All, all of them. And what happens is that Jesus takes those human things and he makes them divine. Yeah. And I mean, I come you know, from a Catholic church, so I come from a sacramental church. So this, for me, is very relevant, really, to the way in which we worship. And I've grown up because um, coming from a sacramental church, we have uh, lots of our sacraments are um, we use things like water and oil and we have candles and incense and all of those things. And what we learn as Catholics is, or at, 
those who come from a sacramental church, that they are what we call outward signs of inward grace. And so that's like using the human things that internally, invisibly have this deep, incredible grace of God that point to the grace of God and what, what can, um, the way God works internally. So it's sort of outward examples, outward um, pointing, pointers to help us to understand the grace of God because we're human beings and we need to be able to touch and taste and use our senses really. So I just felt that maybe that that is for me an understanding helps me to understand that. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I love that. I, I think, you know, for us, I think David and I are not from a, a Catholic background, but it's something I'm, I am beginning to appreciate about the Roman Catholic Church. I think it probably underlines the fact that God is not just a God of spirit. I think we can easily super spiritualize God. Mm -hmm. He's a God of matter as well. He made it and he uses it to bless us. And so that that answer really does emphasize that. I have to confess at this point that when it comes to this performance, the performance of this little bit, I do really sanitize Jesus's spitting. So what I do is I spit into my hands like this and then put my hands apparently on the man's eyes. And clearly that's not, well, I have to say, I don't think that's what's going on. I think it actually says he, he spits on the man's eyes. I mean, that's directly on the man's eyes. So that, yeah, that it makes it a lot less kind of healthy. <laughs> um, I, I know there are lots of theories about this. I, I wonder, it's again, whether it's a, a sign of Jesus's compassion, perhaps, that Jesus communicates um, because the man is blind, uh, but he can feel, he can, he, can, he can sense touch. So yeah. spitting is a kind of way of communicating, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Perhaps, mm. perhaps also, I know the theologians, I think Marcus Borg is one who say that this was quite common. This is the way people healed uh, in those days. So he was just doing what people expect, um, maybe. I, I have to say that there is a guy called Ched Myers who's written a, a great book on Mark's gospel. And he, I think Ched Myers probably would be less into miracles in terms of thinking that actually really did happen. But there is something he says about this one, which is fascinating and i wonder whether for the early listeners to this story they would have actually thought about what he says which is at the same time more or less about ad 70 maybe a little bit before then there was a famous incident that happened to the emperor vespasian i think he was in egypt and there was a, a blind man that was brought to him and vespasian was saying what do you want me to do and the people who came to him said could you heal him, please? Um, because they thought Vespasian was a god. And Vespasian said, well, I'm, I'm not a god. I'm not a god. But he actually did uh, spit on the man's eyes. And the man did really see. This is the story as it goes. And I think there were a couple of versions of the story. Uh, and then Vespasian said to himself, well, I must be a god then. I must be a god. Um, now, this was just before um, he himself destroyed the temple. Uh, in AD 70, uh, his, his legions and, and, and basically defeated God's, the place where God is supposed to have resided. So for the people in those days who were listening to the story, I wonder what they were thinking. Hold on. They may have been thinking, 
Jesus is doing the same thing, but Jesus is a very different kind of God. Mm. This, is a, this is a God of compassion, not a God of conquest, not a God of divide and rule and, and annihilation as Vespasian theory is, not a God of conquering territory or getting one up on other people. This is a God of humility and a God of self-sacrifice who dies on a cross. There are very different mm. kinds of gods. And I do wonder whether Mark has got a political message. You know, right from the very beginning of the story, he says, uh, the gospel, this is, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Well, the emperors used to announce, didn't they? Uh, this is the good news of the divine Augustus, the son of God. So there's a challenge going on perhaps in, in, within this story. I don't want it. It's a great, it's a great idea. I'm not sure how valid it is. Mm. Mm. I've, I, I read it. I, I mean, I love that. I, that's so interesting because I've never heard that before. Um, I, I read something about the fact that um, possibly that spit could, that this man was not a man born blind. Yeah. He, he could well, it doesn't say anything about the fact that he was born blind. So it could be that he'd had uh, an accident or, you know, that there was a reason. Um, and so I read something about the fact that uh, the saliva could have been like a soothing thing if there was a rawness or, you know, a painful scarring in any way. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, oh, that was interesting. That's another way to show Jesus's compassion yeah. um so yeah there's all these different possibilities which are, are fascinating really it's really yeah. about it as well isn't it and just to have time to open up these 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 ideas um we're I don't know where time's gone today but um we're, we're coming to, towards an end Jenny I, I do like to ask our guests um what it is that's so special about this great story in their lives personally. You've devoted much time and energy to proclaiming the gospel in your life. And I just wonder, could you share with us a little bit about why, what is it about Jesus that so attracts you and energizes you? Well, I, I mean, I, I couldn't begin to, you know, spend all the time to talking about um, what he's done for me and my life. Um, I think one of the things that just what's special about this passage, what has become special, yeah. having spent a few days now thinking about this and meditating on it, is that, um, and we've mentioned it a few times about the tenderness of this passage. Um, and one of the things that, um, as, as we talked about, I'm, I come from a Catholic background, and um, we, as you all know, have Pope Francis. Um, we have wonderful Pope Francis. And one of the things that he has really called us to in the last, um, well, since he, he brought out his first uh, apostol apostolic exhortation, which is like a letter to the churches, is he's calling us to a revolution of tenderness. Mm. And he's calling all people, not just, you know, as Catholics, but all of us, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, to a revolution of tenderness. And he says that um, using our eyes to see the other and our ears to hear the other and our hands to comfort and care for the other. And I just 
that for me is just the message of Jesus. You know, he's he is a revolutionary in the best possible way, a revolutionary of love. And so this um, shows really the way and the way in which I want to follow, which is to become a revolutionary uh, for Jesus, really. Amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Jenny and Stefan as well, thank you so much for taking time to share your thoughts with us today. It's been a real pleasure and hopefully we'll have raised more questions as well as giving some insights for our listeners um, into what God's like. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please join us again or listen to previous episodes which can be found on Spotify and Apple Music platforms and on YouTube if you'd like to see our faces. Uh, we'd love you to like and subscribe and tell your friends about it in the old-fashioned way if you've enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, we're so grateful to members of the I Am Mark community at group on Facebook as well. You know who you are and we really appreciate you. If you're not already part of the group, um, Lucy's about to tell you how to find us on Facebook and join in the conversation. That's all we have time for now. So it's goodbye from Jenny Baker. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye from Stefan Smart. Bye-bye. And until next time, goodbye from me. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Question Mark and don't want to miss any future episodes, be sure to click on the subscribe button. This also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation too. We'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes. If you want to find out more about I Am Mark, Stefan Smart's solo word-for-word dramatisation of Mark's gospel, go to www.sleek.bio slash Mark, where you can sign up for free for his newsletter and a whole host of other goodies. Join us and our special guests next time, where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I Am Mark social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. We'll light it up, we won't come down. And the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights. And the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show.